You're listening to Flint Co. Forward, our ecosystem of innovation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Flint Co. Forward, a Flint Co. podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. I want to make sure to point you in a few directions today to make sure that you are getting all the Flint Co. content you crave. Make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can do so by looking up Flint Co. Forward or just Flint Co., finding the podcast, hitting that subscribe button. And then once you are subscribed, you'll have a full catalog of previous episodes to consume as well as notifications when we drop new ones. You can also go to our website at flintco.com. Again, flintco.com. On there, you can obviously find more information about our solutions and services, but also you'll get more content from the Flintco team, including podcasts, articles, videos, blog content, and more. So on today's episode of Flint Co. Forward, we're zooming into a local school community in the southern Denver, Colorado metroplex. That would be Littleton. The community of Littleton had big goals recently for meeting the health needs of their students, namely their mental health needs, and how directly those needs can be tied to the food that the students are eating. Research shows that there is a strong link between mental health and food security, from knowing where or when you'll get your next meal to the ability to afford proper amounts of nutritious foods. More and more in our communities, especially during the crisis our nation is currently facing with the COVID-19 pandemic, families are struggling to keep food on the table. Littleton Public Schools felt they had a responsibility to improve the food quality, accessibility, and experience of eating for students, and invested in a complete renovation of kitchens at several of their elementary and middle schools, sourcing Flintco for help. So with our conversation today, we're sitting down with a panel of professionals from LPS to better understand the connections between food and mental health, and why LPS invested in kitchen and service line renovations as a solution, breaking down various different steps of the construction process, the reasoning behind it, and some of the overall impacts on the Littleton community. For insights today, we're joined by our panel of Littleton Public Schools guests. First up, we've got John Widmeyer. He's coordinator of social, emotional, and behavior services for LPS. We've got Jessica Gould, director of nutrition services for LPS, and Terry Davis, chief operations officer, also with LPS. John, we'll start with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. Looking forward to unpacking this. Jessica, great to have you on as well. How are you? I'm doing well. Fantastic. And Terry, last but not least, are you also doing well? I am doing outstanding. Thanks for having us. Wow. You're setting the bar high. Love it. Yeah, looking forward to uh, digging into this intersection of mental health in public schools. So let's start by just first understanding uh, Littleton Public Schools as a school district and some of the involvement that you'll have within your community. So John, could you start us off there? Tell us a bit more about LPS and uh, your involvement within the broader community. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Littleton Public Schools is a school district of approximately about 15,000 students located uh, here in, in the city of Littleton, South Denver. Traditionally, we've been a, a really high-achieving academic school district, and uh, obviously, I work here. But some of the finest people that you're going to find in education were in this in this district, and we're committed. Kind of the, the unofficial slogan, or the slogan of the school district, is "Big enough to serve you, small enough to know you." And and I really think that carries throughout all of our work. One thing that we know here is that it really, when we're talking about students and we're talking specifically about people's children, it takes a village to, to raise them, to bring them up together. In my department, the, the Department of Social, Emotional, and Behavior Services, we work mainly with mental health in our students. And so, we know working together as a community with parents and community members is essential for us as far as trying to achieve success. And success would be measured in more than just academics, but are we creating 
sturdy human beings? Are we creating students and, and children and, and, and a community that's, that's stronger and able to withstand all that life throws at them? And if we're being really honest, life is throwing a lot at us all right now with, with everything that's going on in our world, in our nation, and in Colorado these days. And I'll jump in and add a little bit to that. I've spent 26 years here in Littleton Public Schools. I also live in Littleton. And when you look at our community as a whole, 70% of the individuals who live in the Littleton area, Littleton and Centennial area, do not have children that go to our schools. However, they realize how a high-functioning school district improves their, their property values, their neighborhoods, um, and, you know, their kids come back typically seeking one of our schools to go send their kids to. And it's, it is a community like no other. And I've been in Colorado my entire life. And there's a reason that um, I've stayed here for 26 years. And there's a reason that um, I've decided to have my home here in Littleton. Agreed. And just just from my perspective, I've been in Littleton for five years and um, in the district for five years. And, you know, I think John really hit it home with just we are small enough to have those personal relationships with our families and our students. Um, we connect with a lot of our community partners to strengthen the district. Um, we have strong support with our community partners here in Littleton. And I think overall, our focus is on bringing students up through our school system so that they can be um, successful, effective adults in whatever that, that looks like for them. Um, it doesn't always have to be a traditional college path. It's just so that they can really achieve their fullest potential. And so um, that's kind of always been the district focus. And um, our community has just supported that and and we've been able to leverage off of their support. So our broader conversation today is obviously about the links between the mental well-being of students, their uh, nutrition, and then their ability to retain and engage in class. COVID-19 has thrown a major wrench into basically all education uh, and has added new layers of stress for students and parents and educators, of course. So with COVID in mind, but even just generally, how have y'all seen, and John, we'll start with you, how have you seen the mental health and wellness of students impact and become a crucial factor in their ability to learn and achieve to the best of their abilities? Uh, what are some of the specific ways you see it intersecting and how important of an issue is this? This is a really important issue. This is a great question. If you look, psychologically speaking, if you talk about Maslow's hierarchy, and, and, and it's shaped like a, a pyramid. And at the base foundation of that pyramid are, are students' basic needs. And one of the things that we can't promise in, in our society right now is just physical health. And, and so everybody is walking around with questions about their own physical health. And if you're not secure on, do I feel safe? Then that impacts your ability to learn. And we've known this for years, working with, with students and knowing that if a student is hungry or homeless or is suffering a major crisis and a basic need, that that's going to impact their, their basic learning. And, and then learning doesn't become the most important thing in their life at that moment. And if that's not the most important thing, then that's, that's going to make it harder to, to sit and listen or, or sit and be instructed. And this is all intersecting with a lot of other stuff that's going on in our communities and our world, along with just wildfires in the state. That have been that have been going on at the time that we're recording this. So there's just there's a lot of of our basic needs that are being I don't want to say threatened. That that feels a little dramatic, but they're being challenged right now. Or we don't feel as secure as we used to. And so part of the ways that we're trying to deal with this as a as a school district, we're really fortunate as a school district to have the Littleton Public Schools Foundation, which which works with our district to help provide funding maybe where our, our, our funding falls short in other areas and helps us out to provide things for our, both our students and our communities. Like, uh, for instance, uh, with the anxiety that we see increasing in really all of our population right now, it's, not, it's our students, but it's also our parents, it's our staff. We know that there's just a heightened anxiety in our community right now. 
so part of what we're able to do by partnering with the Littleton Public Schools Foundation is, is offer things like we're going to uh, next week on September 15th, we've got uh, Dr. Scott Cyphers, who's a child and adolescent psychologist uh, from the CU Johnson and Depression Center, who's coming to, he's going to do a webinar for our community because we know that if we can help calm down maybe parent anxiety, then indirectly we can calm down student anxiety. Or if we can calm down student anxiety, we know that that can calm down parent anxiety. Or if we can calm down staff anxiety, maybe we can calm down all three. And so we know it's not just a, a, a single issue students, it's everybody right now. And so to be able to, to partner uh, and, and, and bring in resources for our community, uh, the, the goal is just to try to help students be more well. We know that just the absence of sickness is not health. And, and so we need to get people to, to, to really strive to just live healthier lifestyles just in, in all different facets and, uh, and, and really just work together to, to try to be stronger people in a stronger community. Jessica, in your work as Director of Nutrition Services and Terry um, as Chief Operations Officer, where do y'all see the impact of students uh, mental health needs and just the state of their mental health uh, impacting some of the work y'all do? Where does it intersect in y'all's lives at Littleton? Uh, I can jump in. You know, I love that John brought up Maslow's hierarchy because that's really what I always think about as well. Um, and And having food is one of those basic needs. It's that foundational need of students. And when those needs aren't being met, their ability to learn in the classroom is is not there. We've all had hunger pains and sat through a meeting and focused more on what we were going to eat after the meeting than what was going on during the meeting. And so I think it's a very relatable emotion and feeling that, that our students may be going through. And so to me, that's that's our biggest focus is ensuring that our students have access to healthy, nutritious food um, so that they can learn and so that they can achieve their fullest potential. Being on the operations side of the house, you know, our goal is down here to make sure that we provide a safe, comfortable, sustainable learning environment for the students. And, you know, there's a lot of anxiety out there over security. We now have, you know, in the safety of the children, there's a lot of anxiety out there with COVID. And, you know, we currently design, operate, and build our new sites to be some of the most safe and secure sites out there and comfortable and sustainable without the reminder every day that we're un in unsafe times right now. And, you know, the concern is with the COVID piece that's out there right now is that these kids are constantly reminded that we are not in a great place right now in the history of this country. And every time they look at their friends, they've got masks on. Every time that somebody sneezes or coughs, they have to live with that thought that what if. And so that's really for my side of the house is really just trying to make sure that we do everything possible to relieve as much anxiety from having, you know, when those kids walk into the building. Well, really, when the first time they get on the bus till the very end of the day, when the last thing they do is get off the bus, is to have something positive to um, remember about the day, not all the negative stuff that's in this world right now. We'll get more into the nutritional aspect with Jessica here in a second. But John, last question for you, or at least last focus one for you. How do you find that nutrition plays a part in the overall picture of mental health and wellness for the students that you work with? As coordinator of uh, social, emotional, and behavioral services, when you're interacting with students, um, do you often hear them express, uh, you know, when they are hungrier, that they are struggling more deeply with their mental health? Uh, and do you see that manifested in their learning? What we know is that physical health and mental health are really two sides of the same coin. I'm not as familiar necessarily with the research around if students are hungry, do they have more mental health issues? And Jessica, you may know the answer to that. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. But I, I do know that sleep is a big factor as it relates to mental health and that if students aren't sleeping well, uh, that that can reflect on their mental health a lot. And so things like eating well and drinking the appropriate amount of water can help 
a person just lead a more healthy lifestyle and sleep better. And that sleep is, a, is one of those uh, key performance indicators that can really change the game on a lot of different things. And if you have thought about times where you haven't slept well, if you have infant children, if, uh, if you've been burning the candle at both ends at work, or, or maybe just dealing with a lot of anxiety, um, and you know how well you function or don't function during those times, then, then you might understand how sometimes the littlest things can really throw you out of, out of whack when you're not sleeping well. And, and I think it's important, I don't know necessarily uh, when this will air, but today is September 10th, which is World Suicide Prevention Day. And, and, and there is a direct link between the amount of sleep people get and uh, instance, higher instances of, of suicide, which is, seems really dramatic. But also, I think it's important to know it's, just, it's about taking care of yourself. And, and we need to really focus on taking better care of ourselves just on a physical sense and that the mind will follow. So, as, as we talk about the, the correlation, it, there is a direct link. It's been studied. It's been researched. I don't know all of the data behind it on as far as, but, but it is there and, it, and it's worth digging into. But I think it's just important to, to be better people, to be better versions of ourselves. That ties into nutrition, mental health. It's, it all connects. It's all working together to try to make people better people. And we know if we can be better people, we can be a better community as well. And uh, I can speak specifically to the nutrition part. There's been many, many studies and research that just shows your diet um, and your, especially your gut health really directly relates to your overall feeling of healthy and of having energy and just being able to get through the day. We all know when we've eaten a really greasy meal or maybe a, a meal that's not very well balanced, um, maybe it's super carb heavy or has a ton of sodium in it. Like we're kind of just not operating at our best potential after that. Maybe we've got a stomach ache. Maybe we've got um, you know, we're just not feeling 100% well. And, you know, that then starts affecting how you show up for for school, how you show up for your friends, how you show up with your family. Um, I think, I think a lot of times, there's also a big piece that, you know, what are we fueling ourselves with in the morning before we get going with our day? And, um, ensuring that students have adequate or even just have breakfast um, and that it's well balanced um, so that they they can kind of get going and have the energy to function throughout the day. I also think that food, not just in the way that it provides our body nourishment, but this social aspect of eating is incredibly important to students. Uh, you know, depending on the grade that our students in, it it really can cross over into um, a lot of the mental mental health issues. And if if we can really create a relationship with food where it's seen as a gathering time, as a social time, as a time to to kind of enjoy the people that are around you and build relationships. Um, I think that's, that's huge. You know, in our schools, we have students that are very focused on academic success. And sometimes that outweighs uh, maybe stopping to fuel themselves and stopping to, to really take care of their bodies in the way that they need it. Maybe it's within sleep, like John was talking, or maybe it's just within proper nutrition. I, I think in our department, we have really had a strong focus on, wow, food is not just fuel, but it is it is a mechanism to build healthy relationships. It is it's something that creating an appropriate and a healthy relationship with food and with meal time is incredibly important to a student for their their lifelong experience. Jessica, I want to uh, get some questions your way now. So because we're seeing that mental health and 
nutrition and just general food security are so linked. I feel like this highlights the importance of the schools themselves having proper kitchen and food facilities for the children. Can you tell me more about uh, how this is manifesting in Littleton and some of the recent kitchen upgrades that y'all have been doing to try to acknowledge this intersection? Absolutely. Um, You know, having a working functional kitchen is incredibly important to then being able to provide the healthy, nutritious, as scratch as we can do, um, as fresh as we can create, um, all of those different meal options. Within schools, I do think that a lot of times food service directors get a little scared of construction and of equipment and the whole process of upgrading because it you know, most of us know food. We, we don't really always necessarily know all of the um, equipment and just the construction behind it. And, you know, what's the voltage and do I need electric or gas or, you know, all of these different things. And, and, and so a lot of times things can get overlooked and equipment can start failing. The other big thing within school nutrition programs is we have to build for not just this year and next year, we have to build for 30 years because money doesn't come around all that frequently um, for us to really invest in our equipment and in our kitchen uh, facilities. And so uh, when, when we're planning, we've got to think about, you know, what are we doing now, but what does the future look like um, for school meals? And and how is what we're doing now really going to help ensure that we're providing the freshest, the healthiest options for our students? You know, as, as school nutrition directors, sometimes we've got to just try and fail. I, I mean, I have plenty of failure stories, um, but but we've, you've got to try and you've got to figure out what's going to work best for you and, and not be scared of it because the upgrades are essential to to really providing students the best that you can provide them. And obviously, this is a Flintco podcast. So could you briefly let the audience know how Flintco has uh, integrated into the building project and what sort of uh, help and direction do you need from a company like Flintco to help renovate the kitchen so that they meet the students' needs? From the very beginning, the reason Flintco rose above everybody else, there's a couple of reasons. The superintendent project manager, but they came to the table with a creative scheduling approach that we had not seen before. And uh, they truly understood the timeline. I mean, we were really constricted to about two and a half months worth of construction. And they came in with a creative approach that did not cost us above and beyond what the the scope of the work was. A lot of times when you go to different hours of work, you know, costs go up. And they realized that from the very beginning that in order to get this work done, that they may be working around students, they may be working around staff, they have to work evenings and do a split shift. And um, willing to make changes and accept those changes as you go without a cost associated with that is really why Flint Co. rises above and beyond um, a lot of the competitors. And from my perspective, I can say that for that food service director who doesn't necessarily know all the ins and outs of construction, it's vital to have a collaborative approach to moving forward with things. And they're kind of your your double check of like, hey, let's make sure we're looking at this and talking about this. Is this exactly what you want? You know, if there's anything that we've needed to add on or change or just address, it's a very honest conversation. It's broken down in a way that is understandable. And the whole time uh, I can attest, I've, I've worked with multiple companies and communication isn't always the strongest. And um, Flintco has done a fabulous job of communicating forthcoming um, information um, to never 
try and cover up a mistake. Um, you know, issues will happen. They may happen with your um, within your procurement chain. Obviously, with COVID right now, there is so many things kind of up in the air of like, are we going to be able to get this? Is our lighting going to come in? You know, our, our manufacturers in the United States kind of stopped as well. And so um, we were just having those conversations um, as they came up and just being very um, forthcoming with it and and honest as to what is doable and what is not. You know, within the scope of the work that we did this year, we we had to make a tough decision of, hey, we're probably not going to be able to do the full scope um, this summer because um, some of our project was just a little extensive and not knowing where the district was as far as what day we were starting school and procurement issues that that could have come up. Um, We were having those conversations early. We were circling back on them as need be. Um, and, and ultimately, they were a partner in the process. It wasn't one-sided or any of that. And I think with that, for, for food service directors who will listen to this, I think it's important to know that you've got to be a partner in the game too. Um, you, you've got to be um, honest and thoughtful in your communication and you've got to show up. You know, you've got to be there at every call. You've got to respond to emails quickly. You, you've just got to do your part because when you get into a construction project, things move quickly and they're relying on you for feedback so that they make, are making sure that they're doing what you need. Um, and so I think that's a big, big thing is as as just a district employee in this process, you, you've got to make sure that you're showing up for them as well. From a budgetary and operational perspective, so we'll probably want to hear from Jessica and Terry on this one. How do you ensure that you're making the most out of the district's dollars when you're doing upgrades like this? What are the immediate necessities, the things that are musts? Uh, what are cherries on top that you have to sort of decide, you know, what to add and what not to add? Go ahead and kind of break down the level of importance for different aspects of this project and how you make those critical budgetary decisions. First of all, we go through a, a very detailed um, RFP process. And, you know, we typically we either do CMGC approach or we do the um, the hard bid approach. But I don't necessarily always look at the dollar amount and and typically during those RFPs, I have the the dollar amount sealed and we do the selection process based on what companies are best fitted for Littleton Public Schools and the community. So it's not just by the price. We actually, the last determining factor is cost or the price project. And so when we go through this uh, lengthy process, we truly do feel we have a, the, the proper fit and the ownership that they, that they take, you know, is such a big piece because can they deliver? They've got to be able to deliver. Do they understand the district values, the community? And it's not just the Littleton Public Schools values, it's the community because really that's who we work for. That's who we operate for. So it's really the community's values. And, you know, I can tell you Flint Co. hit it out of the ballpark. Two individuals that, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be naming people, but J.W. Stamminson and Dave Kenny were spectacular. They are some of the best individuals in the field. They took ownership. And, and to go back with what Jessica had said earlier, these guys were on the phone with us early, often, and throughout the entire process. And, and I think that that's part of, you know, it's going to flow into some of these other questions, but I've got to make sure that I can look at my community and say that we installed the best possible product we could and stayed within the budget that we set. That is the most critical piece when it comes to partnering with another company. And and from my perspective, you want to look at every penny that you're spending. Um, one place I don't necessarily focus on cutting costs is on equipment, because like I said, that equipment may be lasting you 30 years. So you need to make sure that you're going to get equipment that will last. And sometimes when you uh, go to a less costly brand or or whatnot, that, that can definitely impact you quickly. I mean, 
you can get a freezer that is supposed to last 30 years that lasts seven. The other big thing with that though is it's about the install. So you can get a 30 year freezer or a freezer that should last 30 to 50 years. I mean, we have some, I I know I have one that they just took out this summer that was 40 years old. So, you know, it can be done, but it's all about the install too. If they don't properly install a freezer, that freezer will go down quick. Um, I've seen it in other construction projects uh, from neighboring districts um, and, and in past districts that I've been in. And it is just unfortunate. So that's where um, having a, a trusted company like Flinko to work with that is ensuring that they're doing all of the necessary steps to, to really handle your products and, and your equipment to the best of their ability um, is essential for the longevity of the equipment. Um, the other thing that I look at is the functionality. So, you know, sometimes it's the littlest thing that you can add to a refresh project that will make your managers and your food service workers in that kitchen just so happy. Um, one of the things that we've been trying to do with all of our refreshes is to create better flow for our staff so that they're not having to walk all over to make two um, little little steps of a recipe. So um, we're really creating appropriate and proper flow in the kitchen. And we're, you know, on maximizing our dollars, we're looking at what can be reused out of a current kitchen and, and what do we need to replace. Um, a lot of our stainless tables, those can be reused in a different project if if the alignment with within the layout works. Um, the other thing we do in Littleton is everything that we're not using and that we don't plan to use, we um, we don't just throw it away. We send it to auction and um, and or we send it for scrap metal. And, and so we really do try and get value out of everything that we're doing. Um, the other big thing that I like to highlight is when you're doing a project like this, you do want to add a little bit of brightness, a little bit of excitement to the project. You don't want a serving line that is all stainless steel and your entire kitchen is just all stainless steel. Um, that's a very industrial look and that's not warm and friendly to students. Um, so we've been with not having to spend too much money, we've added a little bit of color. Maybe we have a feature wall um, in the project. Uh, we've been adding digital monitors for our students to be able to view what's on the menu um, to kind of keep the space looking clean and fresh, um, not having handwritten signs as as many of us have been into um, kitchens. We've, we've all seen our managers handwritten signs. So how do we make it a very professional looking space um, and, and putting in those pieces that ensure it's going to look professional? So I would say that that's kind of how we we look at the use of our dollars um, to ensure that we're spending everything appropriately. I like that you make such a point of making sure that the aesthetics of these renovated kitchen installments are part and parcel with a broader strategy for the wellness and mental health and physical health of students. John, I'd like to loop you into um, this little subtopic here. Do you find that with the uh, renovated kitchens or really any of the spaces where students are learning that the the visual aesthetics, the sort of, you know, tactile and uh, visual imprint that it has is an affecting part of their overall mental health and well-being? And if so, how? Well, I would say you're always a product of your, your surroundings. So if you have two different kitchens or cafeterias or lunch areas that you go into and one is run down and dark versus one that is bright, uh, one that is clean, one that's more efficient, you're going to have, you know, your, your environment affects your attitude. 
Um, there's there's been a lot of studies that that show that, and you see big corporations. I don't know why Google jumps into my mind, but you see some of these big places that have these amazing environments, and so corporate America has definitely picked up on your environments affect your your attitude, and you see a lot of shifting in in office space going more towards these bright window filled, really engaging type spaces, and then you. Our schools are, are starting to catch up to that. And, and it definitely has an effect on, on how people interact, how people engage, uh, the kinds of conversations people have to Jessica's point. All of that makes a huge difference on, on, on a student and just their, I don't know the right way to say it, but just their, their general persona, their general feeling. Um, and not to mention the fact that it creates a tremendous amount of pride in their environment. Uh, if, if you put a student in a nice space and, and you say, hey, let's keep this space nice, they, they act differently. They, they, they have more respect for their area. Uh, so th- there's definitely a correlation and, and it's definitely linked. Absolutely. And to kind of piggyback off that too, we um, within this bond project have had the opportunity to also outfit our cafeterias with different, just different furniture um, as far as student seating. Um, and, and really using different textiles, different seating styles, appropriate for grade level, but really kind of refreshing the space. And I think together with the kitchen space and the cafeteria space, it does, it lends itself to a fun environment for students to be in. Um, our kitchens uh, are very well lit. Our food is you know, we have LED lights on top of all of our food um, display areas so that they can appropriately, they can visualize and see what's out there. You know, right now it's a little difficult because we have to package everything. So um, we're working through some of those challenges. But, you know, creating that happy environment, as well as, you know, when I was talking about having a display wall, those walls can also be used to hide the, the mess, because nobody wants to see a mess when they go into a kitchen. So, you know, when you're looking at renovating the space, you want to keep the front clean and put the mess in the back or in the dish room or, or somewhere that students aren't seeing it because that, that messy look, it, it doesn't lend well to overall happiness and, and ease and comfort. Um, I think we've all been somewhere that is a mess and I think we get a little flustered in the process and we kind of just want to clean it up. So um, I, I think having appropriate spaces and appropriate places for for you to kind of operate in is important in the overall structure that then relates to students' um, mental and emotional health. Terry, got a question for you here. Uh, When it comes to projects like this, like we've broken down about Flintco on the podcast, having companies that you can trust in a partnership is vital. And obviously just finding those companies to uh, help realize the vision of your project is just operationally necessary. So other than Flintco, can you tell us a bit about the crucial partnerships that have helped make this project possible and uh, why they have been such a help in relaunching these renovated kitchens for LPS? Well, I can tell you it starts months, if not years, before you actually go out for a local bond issue. And the majority of the companies that school districts, especially ours, use are contractors or architects and engineers that really do a lot of schoolwork, that understand the nuances that are that's different about schools than any other construction you know, site that they may be actually um, taking care of. So it really starts before. When we start going out to the community, we get a lot of uh, help when we're running um, our campaign from the contractors. Sometimes they're actually on the streets, going door to door, um, getting to know the community, trying to help the community understand why upgrading and, and doing new builds to your school district um, actually help increase the property value of your homes as well as the community that you live in. So it's, it's, it's not just during construction. Um, a lot of the contractors that I work with throughout the district, I have worked with over my 30 years of construction. We actually have contractors on site right now that, and architects that worked with me back in 1995 with my, during my first bond. 
And so it really is, it's a, it's a partnership. It's a friendship. You get to know these people. A lot of these people in these different companies actually live in Littleton. Um, so they get it. Um, trust is the huge thing. I've got to be able to trust that I, that the contractors putting the best of the best people in these buildings, they potentially be around staff and students. I've got to make sure that these, the, the, the company has to understand school construction timelines. You know, like I said earlier, two and a half months isn't a lot of time to get construction done on a lot of our projects, especially when you're having to take kitchens apart. Once you take that kitchen apart, you have to have it back up and running first of August in order to be able to serve those kids. Um, so they've got to really understand the importance of that schedule and, and delivering. Nobody wants to stand in front of a community and say, you know what, we didn't, we didn't deliver. And I can tell you the contractors that we use are the very best in the industry, and they totally understand and respect that. Another piece is, too, minimal change orders. I know there's going to be change orders as we go through the project because you can't see in every wall. But having a contractor that understands that and wants to work with us and make sure that the closeout is done completely um, and accurately are, are some of the biggest pieces that you know go into selecting and, and, and that partnership. We also have to tie our name with that company. So, you know, we really want to make sure that the, the companies that we use have um, also a um, big presence in the community where the community supports them. It's, it's big because we'll be, you know, we typically go to a new, go for a bond every six to 10 years for capital construction. So it's it, it, there again, it's not just a one-time deal. This is a lifetime of um, building school districts. I also need to be able to know that I can call, it doesn't matter how big the job is or how small the job is, a good quality company is going to jump in and work with you no matter the, what the size of that project is. And I truly believe that the contractors that we use, you know, can do anything from $100 million project down to a five or $6,000 small um, renovation. And, um, you know, the good ones that you have the long-term relationships step up and take care of them. They also step up during times of need as well. And, um, you know, unfortunately, with COVID and other things that this district has had to endure over my 26 years, you really find out who your friends are in the, in the, the contracting and architect business uh, when things aren't always going to the best of our abilities. So as you're building these business relationships with contractors and other partners in the industry, do you find that it's important that they have buy-in into the broader mission, the community-based mission that something like kitchen renovation for the uh, well-being of the uh, physical and mental state of students uh, is just sort of in general? Uh, do you find that it's important that they share the same values as uh, LPS and as the uh, leaders that are leading these projects? And if so, why? You would not be doing school construction for very long if you didn't share the same values or have a, a full understanding of the values of the school district that you're serving. Again, like I said, a lot of these contractors come from these from our area that we work with. We have people here that have lived in Littleton their entire life and, and they get it. You know, it's, it's critical because they're putting their name on a building or a remodel or a new install. And, you know, we really look for, for individuals who have that ownership that they, you know, we're building something that's bigger than us. And we really need to have a full understanding. Like Jessica said earlier, a great contractor seeks to understand the mission of the district. And that was part of our very beginning meeting when we did our RFPs. Uh, the super, I had the superintendent of the school district create basically his mission and his values and beliefs on how he wants to go through this. And, you know, one of the things that he said is we're building new schools. Um, we don't want them to function and operate like, they, like we have for the last 125 years. Um, they need to operate, look, and function differently. And so part of the RFP process was making sure that those companies that came in, whether it's the architects, whether it was the contractors, they all got that mission statement and they developed their RFP process around that. So we really could get a feel of who understands Littleton Public Schools and the community and who doesn't. And I can tell you that um, the contractors and the architects that we selected 
definitely had the Littleton community in their best possible light and, and fully understood what our mission was. I would add to that that this is so much more than even just building great spaces for kids to interact and be healthy in, but it's really a, a, a wraparound support. It's so much of the, the values that, that, that Littleton stands for is, is really trying to do anything we can to help kids and students be successful. And in, in doing that, it, it's about building spaces, but it's also just about supporting district initiatives, funding things like, again, the Littleton Public Schools Foundation, uh, which, which Flint Co. is a part of, which helps us provide resources and, and mental health support for people that need it. So I, I think there's a lot more values than even than all of the great values that, that Terry and Jessica have been talking about. Those are there. But I think it's also just about being people and helping out those in need and, and standing beside each other as we go through well, right now challenging times, but also being there in the good times. It's just it's about being a community. And, and I think that's that's pretty clear that, that we look for people that want to that want to be good community members. We're trying to create students, young adults that become productive members of society. And so there's a there's a, a sense of citizenship that's involved in all of this as well. And so I think companies that understand that and support that, I think that makes a big difference 100%. Uh, and, you know, I think Terry and John said it very well, you know, just as someone who's on the front lines working with the company, it's, it's just good to have the same values so that you're moving forward in the same direction. You both understand kind of where the other person is at and you can build that trust within each other. Um, you know, I think if values are compromised, your trust really um, falls flat very quickly. And so knowing that our, our values are aligned has made the process easier. It's made tough conversations easier because I think we both want the same thing. And, you know, just in our conversations, you can hear how much they care about the quality of work that they're putting out and that they care that they're meeting our needs. Um, it's not about them. It's about ensuring that they are providing us with what we need to really um, help our students in our community. So I, I think that that partnership and ensuring that we're on the same page and we do have those same values is is integral in really having a good relationship. All right. That almost does it for our conversation today with the LPS crew here. Last thing that I want to ask about is just sort of the impact of this project on the community at large. What is the you know ultimate envisioned impact of this project on Littleton? What are some of the effects that it has already had on the broader community? And how do you hope that this can be a, a positive direction for a community that, like many others, is facing uh, COVID pandemic related issues? From my perspective, um, one, seeing that we're investing in our schools and in our students is incredibly important, you know, for our community to, to really show that, you know, our students are our top priority still, and we are making the necessary investment so that, that they do have a good working space and they do have great meals coming to them. Um, so that they can reach their full potential. Um, I think that piece as a whole is really important, especially right now in these incredibly challenging times. We believe in the nutrition department that, that nutrition, as you kind of have heard me say, is much bigger than just the food that you're eating. It is, it's, it's that relationship with food. It's that um, relationship with others and creating appropriate relationships. And, and you can see it in many other aspects of, of a student's life. And this project has just allowed us to take one more step in the, the direction we want to create is we want to create these awesome spaces that, that kids can um, enjoy um, that our students can enjoy, that our students can let loose and be kids. Um, they, they've got a lot going on in their day. And so these are great times for them to really just like 
enjoy being kids and socializing and having a great time. Um, and, and so I think hopefully the community sees the impact of this to really blend in, to really lend to that, that mental health connection um, and, and just to be an additional support for our students so that they can achieve their full potential. I agree with what Jessica says. It's it's basically some of it's the beginning step of something that's just going to continue to grow and flourish. And she brings a different perspective on the nutritional side that the district has never had. And she's really trying. This is one step taking us into the, into the future on how they will deliver food to the kids of Littleton Public Schools. Yeah, and and I would add to that we we have an exceptional community here in Littleton. Uh, and, and this just gives us some extraordinary opportunities to, to help support our kids. And we know that if we can provide them a, a world-class education, that that's going to give them opportunities. But also with that education, it's, 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 a, it's as much about book smarts, but it's also just about being better people, about being healthy people. And what a great project, what a great message to send to our kids just to be, to be healthy to get a great education and make a contribution to society. So it, it, it just, it, it helps out our youth, which creates our future as well. And that does it for our conversation today on Flint Co. Forward. Again, we've been joined by our panel of Littleton Public Schools professionals, John Widmeyer, Coordinator of Social, Emotional, and Behavioral Services, Jessica Gould, Director of Nutrition Services, and Terry Davis, Chief Operations Officer Thank you to all three of you for joining us today on the podcast, giving us your thoughts, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how this kitchen renovation continues to support the students of LPS, their nutrition, and their mental well-being. So again, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Flint Co. Forward. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure you're going to our website or subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for a full catalog of previous conversations, as well as notifications when we drop new episodes. Make sure you're leaving a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. And I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. We'll catch you next time.